0: building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words "Promise Keepers" to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to three one nine nine six. And now here's today's show. So we're gonna interview the real-life Indiana Jones today, Bob Cornuke. They're making a major motion picture about his life. We're gonna talk about biblical archaeology. Where is the real site of the temple of God, so that they can rebuild that for end times? and about Lyme disease. So Bob Cornuke, the real life Indiana Jones, according to National Geographic. What an honor it is to sit in your presence.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Ken. We're just really a couple of old cops. (laughs) We're gonna fake it till we make it. So yes, uh, they do call me that. I don't know why, but they do.
0: Well, I do. They're making a movie about your life or a portion of your life. And at first, a a big time, well-funded Hollywood class A actors all the way. Can you say who the actors are?
1: Can't because of contract restrictions at this point. They're in negotiations, but we're pretty much wrapped up. But they're all A actors. And it's going to be a major motion picture in the theaters uh, that you will see all around the country.
0: And I do know who those actors are. And you're not BSing us. This is actually, these are like. Big time guys,
1: top top guys, and we're. we're I've been working on this with uh, Jim Schmidt from Dean River, who's done a lot, of Producer. a lot of a lot of a lot of movies and uh, did a lot of. I think four movies for uh, Billy Graham in the day, uh, the climb and uh, the Bobby Jones and those kinds of movies. And uh, he is uh, he's the real deal. And we've been working on this for a long time. And he says he wants to make the movie uh, uh, not just a Christian movie, but a movie with a Christian ending but we don't want to we we don't want to preclude all the people from coming that are not believers you know a lot of christian movies mm-hmm. when you get in line you say the guy behind you where to go to church well we want we want the general public to come out and really enjoy this an action adventure movie a lot of a lot of action and we're just uh, at the ending it has a real real uh, real strong message for christ now is there a title yet
0: mountain of fire mountain of fire and filming was delayed because of covid but COVID. any idea when it'll come out
1: uh, we're just now uh, talking with the, the, the officials in Oman, uh, the head of the movie commission in uh, Saudi Arabia, and in fact, we're told we're going to be the first movie to film in Saudi Arabia since uh, like Lawrence of Arabia. It's, it's, really? Uh, because they've been a closed country; they don't allow people to go in there and go around for years. They've been sort of a a strong, uh, a strong held country that you can't get in unless you're in the military. Or uh, you know you have some kind of oil deal with Aramco officials. So uh, very few people have been there. You can't just wander around and be a tourist. But now they're opening up for tourism. It's pretty exciting.
0: But Saudi Arabia likes the idea of this movie because what the movie's about.
1: Now they love it. Uh, I was just over there meeting with, like I said, with with the film commission, and they believe that this will bring in a lot of tourists into the area. They've opened for tourism. So so what's the movie about? Why do they? Why would they? Care? Well, the movie's about. Uh, A guy named Larry Williams and I went over there into Saudi Arabia in 1988 uh, under the belief that the real Mount Sinai should be there. The Bible says in Galatians 4.25 that Mount Sinai is in Arabia. The Bible says that Moses met God at the burning bush in the ancient land of Midian or Madian, which is Arabia. Uh. Uh, A lot of traditions are in Saudi Arabia that that's the mountain. The local Bedouins all believe for thousands of years that that is Jabal Musa or the Mountain of Moses. They have Moses as well over there, Jethro's house and things like that, that the archaeologists have just uncovered. So without a doubt, this is the real Mount Sinai because the Bible says it. And also, Flavius Josephus, Demetrius, and Philo from 250 B.C., Now, these are ancient historians, said that the highest mountain in that region of Madian is the real Mount Sinai. So we've got a high degree of confidence that this is the mountain. And uh, when you go over there and you see that mountain, you see around it pillars and altars and writings and where they made the golden calf, there's a golden calf altar that's huge with all these inscriptions on it. There's at the base of the mountain, there's altars. You see a a split rock. We didn't find the split rock on this trip. Later on, it was found by another couple about four years later, but I was just over there. This split rock is about 50 feet high and the whole base of it is washed away. You can see where the waters have washed away the rocks, carved out the rocks. And of course we know the story of Moses when he struck the rock and water came out. And this is an area of the world that gets a half an inch of rain every 10 years. So to have that preponderous amount of water just gushing from a rock is totally unique. So all the pieces of the puzzle fit. So uh, Hollywood uh, is gonna do a movie on it, not from just a documentary standpoint, but because in those days when we went to the mountain, uh, we didn't have permits to go in that area. I've got to ask forgiveness for the audience, but we went over there at the bequest of my partner, Jim Irwin is the eighth man to walk on the moon. And he said, Bob, if you can get to this mountain, you're going to make the biggest discovery in history. And so I went over there with Larry Williams, full of myself and full of adventure. And we went over there and got arrested it was a real humbling thing. And uh, they were going to, they thought we were Jewish spies. So they put guns to our heads in the jail, and they said they were going to kill us. And then we uh, we escaped through some creative ways. And now, well, however you, like to no, move. you got, Can you tell us? You got oh, to. sure, I can tell the story because <laughs> this is an awesome story. It's it's, it's a neat story. Uh, you know, and before I forget that the mouse eye story is now on a Trivial Pursuit card. So my kids say but my biggest accomplishment in life is, is not anything else except I'm on a trivia pursuit card. That's all they, they care about. So they think that's really great. So, well, what happened was uh, we, we got caught over there and we didn't realize we we're right on the cusp of a military base close by with this tracking station that's highly sensitive. And they thought we were Jewish spies. And we had a truck, we had night vision binoculars, we had satellite photographs of the whole area and we, tried to tell them we think this is the real Mount Sinai and they weren't buying it. And so they threw us in a, in a mud hovel cell and uh, they took our shoes off and, and took our keys and our passports and our wallets and they put them all on a piece of carpet that was on the floor and it was crawling with ants. And uh, it was uh, 128 degrees and they were screaming at us in Arabic and I'm sure it wasn't kind, and they were putting guns to our heads and then dry firing them, and you can't help but flinch when that hammer goes down and that metal click. You think your brains are gonna be splattered on the wall any second. And then they did this for hour after hour after hour. And then my partner, Larry Williams, who was nominated for United States Senator in Montana, run the Republican Party twice, um, he, uh, he stood up and, and said, uh, I have a plan. Uh, we're going to escape. And, and I said, how are we going to escape? And he goes, well, we're, we're just, I've got a great plan. And I said, well, there's 200 miles of desert, 128 degrees. We're in our socks. We don't have our keys. We don't have any water. And so he screamed and he pointed at me and he said, he's a doctor. And so the head guard comes over, stumpy guy, you know, kind of a, his face was kind of looked like burnt saddle leather, you know, from a camel. He just was this, but he had a red eye that was pussy and running down and all infected. And he grabs me and he picks me up and he pounds his stubby finger in my chest and he says, doctor, because everybody knows the word doctor over there. And so uh, I nervously said yes, and do he pointed you, to do, his- But you didn't
0: tell him your doctor is a PhD <laughs> no, in it's not, not archeology, not, in the Bible. not- I didn't
1: have it by then, <laughs> I didn't have it, in, and then, but uh, but anyway, I, I pointed to my eye and it his, his, he pointed to his eye and it was all seepy. And I, I, I said, I need my medical kit. It was in the truck. So they put a gun to my head They escorted me out to the truck, little white Datsun pickup truck, all beat up that we got from a rental place over there. I got my shave kit, brought it in, undid it, set everything out on the table. And they were awed because in Saudi Arabia, they don't have any CVSs or Walgreens or anything. So when they brush their teeth, they do it with this stick of acacia wood that they break off from a tree. And when a baby's born, they wash it in camel urine. I mean, they don't have high tech stuff. So I had some Vizine. So I told the guy to put his head back. I put a couple drops in his eye. He kind of fluttered. He didn't like that. He was very agitated by that liquid going in his eye but after a while he felt it soothing feeling apparently because he smiled and then his eyes started going white and all the guards go doctor doctor man they (laughs) and so now they lined up when they were they were at first they were yelling at me now they're putting their rifles down and they're lining up like you remember Remember in Seinfeld, the soup Nazi, you know, they all got in line and they all lined up to get, and then all the villagers lined up and all the sheep lined up. Now, you know, everybody wanted to see the doctor. They've never seen a doctor before. The first guy comes up and he says, he's got to cut hands. So I said, some band roll on on it. You know, it's soothing. It's cool. It's sticky. He goes to mom, which means good. And, and he he sits down. He's happy. He saw the doctor. Next guy came up with a bad back. I'm looking at his back and Larry goes, Bob, here's what I think you need to do. I said, shut up. I'm the doctor, <laughs> so I got some. I got some sleeping pills. Now they didn't have Ambien in those days. That wimpy Ambien. They had the second all. I mean, put a buffalo down with this. So I had all this bottle of of, of of sleeping pills. So the guy sticks out his hand and he takes the pills. And and I said, well, there's five guys. I put five in his hand and said, give one to each one of these guys. And I thought it was a pretty good plan, but he took all five of them. Oh, then the next guy comes up and takes his five. And the next guy comes up and take, takes his five. And the next guy takes up his five. And within 15 minutes, they're all laying down snoozing. And uh, we we escaped. Uh, <laughs> one guy, one kid in the village chased us with a gun. and the, the, So the story is we eventually escaped. It was a wild chase scene. Hollywood loves the story. A uh, lot more adventure to it and intrigue but um, that I'm telling you now. But uh that's why they're. That's where they're doing this movie, and it will be an adventure movie.
0: So, how many? How many of these um, explorations? Have, what's the cool word for that? That you. Have Expeditions. To Expeditions.
1: Uh, I just finished seventy fourth expedition.
0: Now you found Paul's shipwreck.
1: Well, we found uh, here. You see here. Here's here's the deal. When I start telling people I found anything, they argue with you. I like to tell them we're searching, give them the evidence, tell them what the Bible says, Then they argue with themselves. In other words, they're being like the Bereans. We're called like Bereans to check what anybody says. And whatever I say in speeches, or I show these things, I say, look, Paul, when he spoke to the Bereans, he said, hey, check out what I say against Mm -hmm. Scripture. We need to check all this against Scripture. Scripture is the final mediator, the final arbitrator, the baseline of all this. So what I tell people is we found four anchors. They were from an Alexandrian grain freighter, they were in 90 feet of water, in front of a bay with a beach, where two seas meet. What does scripture said? In Acts 27 and 27 and 28, it says, on the coast of Malta, there was a bay with a beach. There's only one bay with a beach to speak of in Malta, and that's the that's St. Thomas Bay. It's where two seas come together. The Greek word is topon where two seas come together. That's where the two currents smack over the reef. There's a reef there the Bible talks about because the, the ship went up on a reef. Uh, there's 90 feet of water there. And uh, so we just triangulated all the things that scripture said, went down exactly where Luke says, and we believe it's Luke writing this this narrative, and four anchors were found uh, by divers. Uh, we didn't find them, but they were found by divers in late 60s and 70s. And it took me two years to find all the divers and find all the anchors, but they were all uh, they were all from an Alexandrian grain freighter from the first century, found in the exact spot that the Bible says in 90 feet of water. They never found four anchors in the entire Mediterranean Sea, let alone a search area the size of a basketball court that scripture brought us to. So it just tells me that Luke was chronically accurate, that the Bible is extremely precisely accurate. And people say, well, the Bible contradicts itself in some places. I said, no way does it. It may contradict your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You may justify it being uh, contradicting itself because it contradicts what you believe and it brings shame upon you. So we found these uh, these divers. they found the anchors. Uh, it all fit together like a precise puzzle, which just leads me to believe that the Bible can be followed prophetically, historically and contextually. I mean, so the Bible
0: is more real to you than just about anybody because you've been to all these places in detail. You've looked for the Ark of the Covenant, you've looked for Paul's shipwreck, you've looked for Mount Sinai. And you've taught you've got some theories on the temple, which I want to get to later because that's fascinating.
1: Is a big one too, Ark. On
0: but the one on the temple is fascinating. And I want to get to that in a few minutes. But first, you got to tell us one more story. You got to tell us a story about when you were looking for the Ark of the Covenant in Ethiopia, and you were able to get some Russian guys to give you a UN helicopter to recon the area. Now, <laughs> I
1: don't know <laughs> you <laughs> why you like the skills, this story. Man. I hardly ever tell this story, and and you know. Uh, well, you got to do it with the song too. Well, because you got to sing the song with the story. You and I have been on, on trips, <laughs> uh, you know, fundraising <laughs> and doing some trips for Promise Keepers, and we've had some great times telling stories. And I guess this one you like. I hardly ever tell this story. I don't know if anybody even knows me knows this story, but I'll tell it. We were over in we're over in Ethiopia, and uh, History Channel had done a couple shows on me over there. And uh, recently, there was a Travel Channel show called uh, Expedition Unknown with Josh Gates, number one show for Discovery Channel. So when I was over there, I went to get an aerial shot of the the town of Aksum. And there's no helicopters within a thousand miles. I don't know if there's any helicopters other than Addis Ababa a couple thousand miles away. But um, we were over there in Aksum on the border of Eritrea in the farthest, most reaches. I mean, they hardly had any cars that run in those days. And um, I, I needed a helicopter to film up above. We didn't have drones in those days. So but there's a big UN helicopter sitting outside the hotel called the Yeehaw Hotel, an old, you old weather beaten hotel with no screens in the windows and just that old cinder block communist looking, you know, kind of construction of just block and cinder blocks. And so uh, I'm I go to this Russian crew and they don't know it, but I speak a fair amount of Russian. I used to live in Russia for three years. So I said, I'd like to get your helicopter just in English. And they start talking amongst themselves. I said, well, uh. uh what well, what is it going to take to get the helicopter? He goes. So well, if you can outdrink us, and we'll, we'll we'll go and and I said, well, no no problem. Because
0: Russians right. know. I mean, Russians can drink any American. They can they can able.
1: drink. The Russians can drink like they have a hollow leg and not even be bothered. So I'm with my brother and a guy named Doctor. Pete Laninger, Laninger, um, is Laninger yeah, going to yeah, mind? You told this story. Laninger is his brother. owns he's a part of the guy. Spurs. He's yeah. a well-known guy. You know, his brother owns part of the Spurs. He's a doctor, well-known doctor, and so very wealthy guy. And so he's on his. He's on his. He brought his wife on this. Is his honeymoon. Barbara. <laughs> and so she's in the room waiting he, for him. I'm he done.
0: brought his wife on a honeymoon to the farthest reaches of, of a place of the with world. no cars. Yeah, because yeah, he's a block hotel.
1: Well, Pete's the greatest guy in the world. He, he's a hunter. He's an outdoor guy. And so he said, I'd like to go see where the Ark of the Covenant is. So she said yes. And so she came along. And so we go in the room and here are these three Russians. And my brother and I sit on the windowsill, and Pete is sitting on the bed, and these three Russians are there, and they have a couple bottles of vodka, and they pour the vodka in the, bo- in, in the glasses. And then they all say, now we're going to toast to our mothers. And in Russia, when you drink, you take the vodka, you shoot it all the way down, clean your glass out, set the glass down, and you sing a song beforehand. It's, The Russian folk song. And then they all take a drink. And they, they shoot it down. They shoot it down. Uh, uh, all three of them shoot it down. Pete guzzles his down. But my brother and I, Paul, great guy, my brother and I, we're sitting on the windowsill and we go to drink and we throw it back to our mouths and we just kind of miss. So it goes and the whole stream of vodka goes over our shoulders down, down outside and in the jungle. So so, said, so these guys are plotting in Russian, but you oh, yeah. speak Russian, I so understand, you know I understand what, they're what they're saying. saying. They're saying, Pete's, Pete's, which means drunk. They hit their, when you hit your chin and you say Pete's, that's a sign of drunk, they gonna pizza, you know? And so-, so they're going to st- get these dumb Americans drunk. Dumb American do. So I'm going, okay. And, hey, you're
0: not classy enough to tell your friend who's on the honeymoon,
1: so he's no. actually
0: drinking the vodka. He doesn't
1: know I speak it, and my brother and I are <laughs> winking at each other. So pour, they pour again, let's drink to uh, America, drink, let's drink to Russia, Tis let's, let's drink to friendship, well, so, this time, Pete Pete has four drinks in him. I mean, vodka. I mean, stuff straight could, vodka. Straight vodka. And Paul and I haven't had a drop. It's, it's just been thrown <laughs> over our shoulders. And the Russians are going, oh, my. and so Pete goes, I can't. His, his face is sliding off his skull. It's pooling on the table, you know, and he's begging me with tears in his eyes, don't make me (laughs) (laughs) i said one more pete for the team So, so they give us a helicopter and the next scene is i'm taking pete down the 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 you know the the corridor of the hotel knocking on the door and his wife opens up the door his new wife opens up the door, and on their honeymoon, I sort of slide him in the room, <laughs> close the door, and to this day, Barbara is, if you're listening, Barbara, I love you, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. <laughs> no, we're, we're good friends even to this day. We see them quite often. Pete's a great guy. So you, you're
0: you a controversial guy. I mean, you're well-known. You've written a lot of books. You've been a promise keeper speaker, PhD in biblical archaeology, Way more important than all those things used to be a cop in Costa Mesa, which is the most, by far, the most admirable. Most important thing, thing. yeah. <laughs> but you're controversial, and and probably the biggest reason is because so much of scholarship is just godless, and yours is clearly we've already established based on Scripture. What what's the deal? Why why are so many people who are into all that stuff just?
1: against God, against Scripture? Well, there's two things going against me. Um, uh, The the, the thing I try to do, I strive to do, is have intellectual integrity. In other words, I try to show the evidence and let the evidence speak for itself. Um, but, but I have two things going against me. Well, you got more than two, but I got a lot of, or like, like Trump had, you know, uh, a, a lot of stuff going against him. You know, he had, you know, the, the social media, he had the press, you know, yeah, he, he had a lot of things going against him. Uh, and so, uh, because of agendas differed than he had. So there's a lot of people that have differing agendas in the Bible, for instance, uh, scholarship, Scholarship rests on three legs. Uh, scholars wanna be published, they wanna have prestige, and they wanna be promoted. If you take any one of those legs, their stool will fall over. So when you have published, prestige, and promotion on the line, you cannot say that there was a flood. It's whimsical to the secular world. It is a the uh, they have an anti-supernatural bias. They do not believe that these things happen hmm. in history. It's not a historical event. They might say, well, there was a flood. Uh, and uh, it was a flood, not the flood, but a it was localized, flood, localized it was, yeah. small flood. And so they say, but it's, it's it's not a it's not a flood. And but the Bible's specific about being a, a worldwide ca- cataclysmic event of a lot of uh, hydraulic forces um, brought on by God for punishment of people that are disbe disbehaving, uh, uh, dis- disbelieving. So uh, we have the scholarship. So if you're let, let's say you're now a let's say you're uh, at at you went to Oregon, right? You're a duck, right? Right, right, yeah. right, right. Okay, so, so in Oregon, uh, it, there's university professors there, if they start saying there was a flood, asking a question, I believe there was a flood, they're not going to get promoted, they're not going to get published, and not going to get prestige, hmm. because ninety nine percent or ninety eight percent of all uh, scholastic people claim to have a a, a, a non Christian fundamental viewpoint. Maybe it's ninety six or ninety, but it's a high amount that are that are secular. So they're they're careers are pretty much over if they start espousing that. And so even Christian uh, people teaching in Christian universities today are waffling on uh, uh, scripture. Uh, um being you know true from start to finish, mm-hmm. which I believe it is. I believe the Bible is 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 prophetically contextually historically accurate. I think the Bible's God's revelation of himself to man. God's the author, salvation is the end, and truth without any mixture of errors the content. I believe the Bible is the supreme standard by which we live. It's the gold standard in history. It's the, the sole source of truth. Sole source of truth. And so I believe that's 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 played out. I've never found anything and all these archeological searches that I've had that, that counters what the Bible has to say in this narrative. But we have to take the narrative with the intent of the authors. You see, what we've had over history is we've had people let their agendas dictate what the Bible says. You know, we have the original handwriting and in the original inspiration of the authors of the uh, of, of the Bible, the in the original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. But over years, that has been corrupted. People say, "Well, well the Bible is, is God's word. Yes, it's God's word, taken in the original intent of the authors. It's God's word. Unfortunately, the Bible has been corrupted." A lot over the years for instance uh, I just bought a a, a a page out of a Bible last week for a thousand dollars why would I spend a page a thousand dollars for a piece of paper it was taken out of a, a book that was written in 15 1516 15, uh, by a guy named Erasmus Erasmus was an incredible incredible scholar he was a Greek speaking guy in the in the 1500s and very few people could even even knew anything about any Greek. And for all those years, since about the year 400, the Catholic Church had been reading off of a guy, a a, a translation from a guy by the name of Jerome. It's called the Latin Vulgate. And so the, the Catholic Church has had the Latin Vulgate, and then Erasmus is reading. On the left side, he writes the Greek, and on the right column, he writes next to it the Latin. And as he's comparing the Latin to the Greek, he finds in the Greek where it says repent and then he goes over to the latin and it says do penance which is just the just the opposite Mm -hmm. so when he saw that it was due penance and over here it says repent he's going holy this is really this is completely opposite and so then he read in in romans 1 where it talks about justifying it, it was a legal term where it says that that god justifies through our repentance but in the Catholic, in the Vulgate, it says that you that man can justify through his doing penance. So we have to repent. So when Martin Luther read that, from the very page that I have, hmm. from the very book called The Novum Instrumentum in 1516, which I think is the most important translation of all the Bibles ever written, uh, because the New the King James, most of it came from the Novum Instrumentum and Tyndale changed his but then we have we have right there where it says in a nutshell that we need to repent and we're not saved by our works we're saved by grace through faith lest any man should boast and so from that one book from that one line started the reformation with martin luther which then tumbled over to tyndale and went through the bohemian john huss and all those others and then the reformation happened because they said this translation is different and people need to know, you cannot pay for yourself in heaven. The collateral has already been paid. It's the blood of Jesus. That's the only solvent that washes away sin is the blood of Jesus. There is no purgatory. There is no way station where you go and you you stay under the flames of fire. You are saved by grace through faith. And Jesus is uh, Jesus is the answer. It's not by what we do, not what we pay, but what, what we accept in our hearts as a free gift. So
0: someone might be listening to this going, so you're saying there's errors
1: in the Bible. I think the taking the original intent of the Bible, the is accurate because even when we go from English, uh, we, when we translate into English, the word choices, we're, we're inadequate to take a word for word identification of the Greek. So what we have is we have a commentary and a lot of these Bibles, for instance, if you have a Thomas Nelson Bible, it'll say um, uh, words that ha- might ha- may be different because of the committee that, that that's overseeing it, but it's God's words to their best ability to okay, translate. Okay, so let me
0: make sure that, that we're, we're speaking the same language here, you and I. You're not saying that there's errors, you're saying that there's inadequate translation.
1: Yes, there's no errors in the Bible. If we go to the original Greek and Hebrew, the Bible is pristine. Okay. It is it is God's words breathed upon its pages. There is no error. It's it's good for all teaching. It's good for all. all but what we have is we have to be. That's what Paul said. Be like the Brians. For instance, if you take Genesis 11.1 1 and you go to the and, and you go to Genesis eleven one and you go to an NIV translation, uh, it'll say in Genesis eleven one and two it'll say that the descendants of Noah migrated towards the east. If you take a translation from the, uh, the, the King James or New King James or NSAB, it'll say they journeyed from the East. And we have two prepositions here. One is towards and one's from. What is the correct one? If you take the Greek speaking Hebrews in the Septuagint, they use the term apo, the Hebrew apo. Apo, apo, only means from, not towards or in. So we know if we go back and we do his, we do a historical autopsy on the on the Bible, we see that yes, the correct term is from, not towards or in. Now the Bible is if if you're hearing this, you're saying i reading the NIV. Don't don't stop reading it because ninety nine point nine 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 percent of it is correct pertaining to all that we need to know about the salvation of Christ, the story of Jesus. And and it's more of a poetic narrative if you read the NIV than some other translations. But the Bible is God's words. But if you want to be a real student of the Bible, you need to go back to the Greek and Hebrew.
0: So let me give an example. It might help, and this will be an inadequate example, but it, it, it might help some people. If if we were trying to translate something from Spanish into English, and, you know, the person said, thank you. And someone else said, you're welcome, right? And, and so if we were Spanish to English and they said, gracias, we all know what that means. De nada. Well, gracias means thank you. De nada means it was nothing. But in in the, to English, that would mean you're welcome to us. Well, so now if you're translating that, how would you translate it? Some people might say, well, let's translate it. You're welcome. Because that's what it means in our custom. But the actual words mean it was nothing. So which way do you go? That's why we have these different translations. Now multiply that by about a thousand when you get to Hebrew and Greek, because there are simply there are simply certain words that we don't have in the English language to express what it says in the Greek and Hebrew. So we end up trying to explain in a way what does this mean? Because we, we don't have an adequate way of translating. So that, that's what you're you're explaining in case somebody doesn't really right. grasp.
1: You're reading God's word with the with the best commentary that people can come up with based on the English language compared to the Greek and Hebrew.
0: And one of the things that we want to do on this show is to provide information, aha moments for people that they might not have had. And one of the things that's going on right now is a lot of people have lost their jobs or a lot of people have recently retired, but they still want to do something really relevant for the kingdom of God that's really helpful. And that's why I'm really proud to announce our partnership with Bethel Tech at BethelTech.net. Bethel Tech trains in how to do high-tech stuff like UI, UX, design, full stack development, data science. Even during the 2020 pandemic year, 80% of Bethel Tech students were hired within 120 days of graduating. The average starting salary for a junior developer is $65,000 a year. That is significantly higher than people who are graduating with a four-year degree. It's awesome. It's a nine-month program. You can do it from your own home. Go to BethelTech.net and look into it, guys. I think this is a great opportunity. So we're talking to Bob Cornuke, the real-life Indiana Jones, former Costa Mesa policeman and a PhD in biblical archaeology about uh, the site of the real-life temple in Jerusalem, which maybe, maybe most people have wrong, the Ark of the Covenant, Noah's Ark, and Paul's shipwreck. Okay, so here's what I really want to get into now is Revelation, because this is an important—maybe, to me— and what you were just talking about is your book that you wrote, Traditions, where, like where do traditions come from, which is a fascinating read. Like, why do we believe certain things that we believe? And you go into the into depth about those things. But I think the most important work you've done is where is the site of the temple? So in Revelation, in Second Thessalonians, we understand that the Antichrist will come. He's going to make sacrifices in the temple. But there is no temple right now. And the temple has to be built on the original site where it was. And and if it is, they can start doing sacrifices again. So in other words, everything for the tribulation to occur and for Antichrist to come has been satisfied except for there's no temple for him to sacrifice in. The reason there's no no temple there is because the common understanding is that the site of the temple is where the current Dome of the Rock is in Jerusalem, which is the fourth, I think, the fourth holiest site in Islam. That's where Muhammad supposedly mm-hmm. climbed to the top and was taken up to heaven just like Enoch and Elijah. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you'd have to destroy that that Muslim artifact in order to rebuild the temple. However, you say that's not the site of the temple. And, and this is a crazy thing, which means that the temple could be re- rebuilt right now if you're correct. So why are you right? Well,
1: <clears throat> it's not my brainchild. And... Uh, what I did is I started researching this because a guy by the name of um, Ori Maser was had a student named Ernest Martin. And, and Ori Mazur is sort of the grandfather of archaeology over in, over in Jerusalem. And so you have to understand that the, that the Temple Mount and the Western Wayland Wall, more specifically, is, is considered the most holy site. Uh, for, for, for Jews, and so uh, they, they, you'll see the videos of them praying and putting prayers in the rocks, and the, the president goes over there and recently, Trump, and they, they, they say that this is the wall that, uh, where, that, where the Temple Mount was. But Ori Mazur uh, says to Ernest Martin before he dies, um, I gotta tell you, we found some things, coins and, and inscriptions and things in the City of David, which leads us leads me to believe that the temple was in the city of David. So Ori Mazur says to Martin, Nurse Martin, "Why don't you say this publicly? He says, "Because my family uh, will be. Because uh, the the Mazur family, even today, they're still over there." Uh, um is is renowned archaeologist the whole family is, is sort of the whole family business is archaeology and uh the the backlash against them would be tremendous uh if if this was ever acknowledged that he did say this so i started reading this ernest martin and i started realizing ernest has left out a few things that i i kind of plugged the holes with he left out the biblical narrative uh a lot of the biblical uh, references to where the temples located so after several years of of hard research I I came to believe that the Temple of Solomon was not built upon the Temple Mount, but was built in the city of David, 600 feet south of there over the Gion Springs, because the priests need to have water. You need to have water, and not not just cistern water. You need to have running, living water for the priests to wash themselves, to go into the temple, to do their temple temple duties. And then I found out that Scripture says that the, the temple was built over the the uh, in, in over the threshing floor in the city of David, which was the Jebusite fortress that David conquered, and so when Solomon began to build the temple, he built it over. The threshing floor. Well, the threshing floor was in the city of David. Then I started doing research on on pilgrims that came over there, such as the Bordeaux pilgrim who came over. He describes it as the, in the city of David. Then I talked Then I started doing research about a guy named Flavius Josephus. He's a famous uh, uh, Jewish historian. Uh, he was historian for for the Romans, and he gave a description saying that the that the temple is located. He 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 followed the ancient walls, which I believe are are are. Um, uh, uh, the, 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 these ancient walls of the Jebusite fortress, which go around by the southern tip of the city of David, where the Pool of Siloam is today, where they just discovered. And then it says it goes up to the Ophel, which is where the south, where, where the east cloister of the temple is. So if you go to the Ophel today and you follow that wall up, it goes. It stops right where this, where you buy your tickets to get in to see the Gion Springs. So not only does scripture tell us there, not only does historians tell us there, logic tell us there because Josephus also said that the Roman fortress was on the high ground overlooking overlooking the temple, which would be the Temple Mount. Now on the Temple Mount you see 36 acres up there today. Well, all Roman forts are about 36 acres in a rectangle. If you mm. go to I've got a whole list of these photos and so that is where I believe is the Roman fortress that housed the 10th Roman Legion and in a legion of 6,000 people, they would have had 4,000 support personnel. So uh, Josephus describes it as the size of several cities. And since no one's ever found, and the Romans were there for 300 years, they haven't found one brick of the Roman fortress because it's right been in front of everybody all this time. It's been hiding right in plain sight in front of everybody because tradition has placed it on the Temple Mount. Now. Uh, when the, when the, uh, in, in the year... So let me uh, ten, stop
0: you right there just to clarify for everybody. So you're saying that the Roman fortress was on top of the temple mount where they think the temple was. Right. And it was looking down on the real site of where the temple is, yes. 600 feet away.
1: The temple's down. People say, well, the temple temple's already built on the high ground. No, the temple was built where God told him to build them. And that's over the threshing floor of Warren and the Jebusite. And when David bought the threshing floor... By the way, when David bought the the threshing floor, um, the guy was saying, Ornan said, you can have it. And God said, David, purchase this. Mm -hmm. Why did he tell him to purchase it? And why a threshing floor? Because scripture says when Christ returns and the temple is rebuilt, that it will be a threshing floor where God, it'll be like a threshing floor where God waves his winnowing fan and separates the wheat from the chaff. The wheat are the non-believers who will be burned up in the fire and the wheat will go in the barn, which is a metaphor for heaven. So scripture is telling us that God, that Jesus will wave his winnowing fan and separate the wheat from the chaff, which are the believers and the non-believers. The believers go to the barn in heaven, the non-believers go to a burning place. So that's why the thresh, threshing floor was purchased. It was a warrant deed for all, for all eternity that, that, that David bought this and it's owned. And this is in the city of David. It's, it's amazing when you put all the pieces together that this is the place. Now, to, to, for the Christ to return, there has to be a temple to rebuild. On the Temple Mount, it's controlled by the Muslims. They will never let anybody go there. Even when the Jews took it back in the Six-Day War, um, Moshe Dayan went up there and put up the flag, the Israeli flag, and the next six, four days later he took it down because 1.2 billion Muslims would have come and just wiped them off the face of the earth for doing that. That's the third most holy site that you're, that you're talking about is on the Temple Mount. And so they will not even let a Jew go up there and pray today. Let them build a temple.
0: And what you're saying is— if the Jews actually knew where the temple was, they wouldn't want to go up there. That was nothing more than a Roman fort.
1: Nothing more than a Roman fort. See what what we have is tradition. See tradition is is the thing that messes up all of archaeology. Uh, the Bible says fourteen times that tradition is, is is fourteen times traditions mentioned in Scripture. All are negative except three, where it says follow Jesus and the apostles explicitly. Here's a couple of examples. Uh, Mark 7, 13, 13 says your traditions will nullify the word of God. Okay. Second, second, uh, Colossians says, uh, two eight, I think it, I mean, Colossians two eight says, um, it says, your beware listening to a cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of man, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. You see, beware Him to cheat through philosophy, which is the love of wisdom, filiosophia, the love of wisdom. Beware worthy to cheat through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the traditions of man, according to the basic principles of this world, evolution, and not according to Christ. Evolution does nothing more than gut God of the divine. That's what scholars want to do. They want to have a natural explanation for every supernatural event. That's the big thing that scholars like to do, is they like to say, oh, uh, up, up the, when, 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 when the, the Nile turned red, there was a big rain up in Nubia, and it washed down the red clay, and it killed the fish, caused the knots, caused the cows to die. All natural explanation for a supernatural event. Everything is geared towards gutting God of the divine. In our mm-hmm. university systems today, all the teachings are gutting God of the divine. Miracles didn't happen. If you see a baby be born, you've seen a miracle. You took me out to lunch the other day and you paid the bill. That's a miracle. <laughs> that's almost like the Red Sea party. <laughs> um,
0: you know, we could talk about this all day and we have. We have we already
1: our, run up our time?
0: No. We, okay. we, I want Every time we do one of these podcasts, I want to make sure that there are, is a chance for an aha moment for somebody or that there's a truth that came out that rescued somebody. And, you know, you have a lot of them, but I want to get down to one that's really practical for you which is that you have a daughter with Lyme disease.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we've talked about how you deeply regret not knowing the signs of Lyme disease because it's one of those things that the sooner you know about it, the, the better it can go. Tell us about that experience, how Shannon's doing now, but also how does someone recognize that? Because lots of people are affected by Lyme disease. And uh, it's one of those things that, that the medical, industry and the medical insurance industry doesn't treat very kindly in a lot of ways and i we have known Elliot and i have known a lot of people who suffer greatly from lyme disease so tell us that story a little bit in a kind of this last segment so that if anybody else runs into those shoes they'll know the signs before uh, you did
1: yeah thank thanks for asking uh, i've never talked about this publicly like this so it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of awkward to do but i'll try my best um, I was getting my PhD in uh, at Louisiana Baptist, and I was going out there and studying. And, and Shannon was out there, and we have a friend that lived nearby in Newton, and so we stayed. and She got bit on the arm, and I thought it was just a Texas bug, you know, out in the kind of that buggy area around the border of Louisiana, and. Um, uh, her arm had a little buggy
0: bit. area isn't all of louisiana that buggy area well it was the
1: area <laughs> where we were. i'm sure it was all but that area where we were, were buggy and snakes and all the creepy stuff that i don't like but her arm got bit and <laughs> uh and then uh, i thought nothing of it i thought just you know just a bit i didn't realize it was a tick and uh i have been beating myself up ever since and a lot of people have come to me and you have been very kind saying don't don't do that but i, I should have known i you know to pre- I, i'm here to protect my daughter and yet I didn't, and she suffered because of my ignorance on the subject matter of of, of, of ticks and what they do and Lyme disease. But I, there's a lot of people living out here, probably, or listening to this, probably, you're going to say, "I know somebody that has Lyme disease. And it's a debilitating, horrible disease." It got to the point where my the doctor said my daughter was in days from dying. Um, it got it got so bad, um, she couldn't get out of bed for months and months and months. And as a father who uh, you know, and as a policeman, as you know, we'll we'll go into burning buildings and knock buildings down and, and we'll 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 do whatever we can to save somebody. And I just I couldn't do anything. Um and so my wife and I um decided, you know, we just pray our, our socks off. And I'd find my wife every night outside her bedroom, just sitting down against the door of her bedroom, praying and praying and praying. And, praying. and we took her to a doctor in Washington, DC, Dr. Jemsek. He has a clinic there, and um, he uh, he he had a, a formula that had been shown to work, and we we tried it, and and she's gotten better and better and better from that. Now to the point where she's getting married in July, and she's uh, she's able to go live live a life. Um, we don't know if she's going to have children. She's afraid to do that of passing on the disease. She's probably going to adopt, but uh, to see to see your daughter have a ring like. Two weeks ago, we were up in Breckenridge, and the gentleman, great kid, Trevor's going to get Esther to marry him, put the ring on her finger. I looked over my wife, and the tears were just rolling down her cheek. And Terry looked up and said, "Praise God!" Because um, it's a God thing, you know. Um, I've got a son, and you've got a son that, that wrestles, a great, great wrestler. I have a son, uh, Connor. And I was giving a talk recently, and I said, guys, I'd give my life for anybody. You would as a cop, too. All the cops out here, we'll give our lives for anybody. But who are you going to take and kill your son for? Nobody. I'm not going to kill my son for anybody. I'm sorry. I love everybody, but not to that point. But Jesus took his only begotten son, who he loved with all his heart, and had him be tortured. Can you imagine having... 10 times worse than any Lyme disease. Tortured and then killed with crucifixion so that we would have our sins forgiven. That's the payment. We don't have to do anything for that. It's, it's grace. It's a gift. that We're not worthy of it, but God did that for us because we're sinners. It all started from the, the Garden of Eden. We don't want to go through that theological road, but God gave his son... die for us and 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 that that gift is even more precious having a a daughter go through that illness and a son that i love so much
0: so your future son-in-law came to you you helped him plan the whole thing out yes you guys were all there he takes her up to breckenridge does the little snow uh horse ride thing and then when he asked her to marry him you guys were all Right there.
1: Well, we we're all around hiding, and it was downtown Breck, where all the lights are. There's a little, there's a little park there, and it was, you know, so if was,
0: nobody knows what Breckenridge looks like. It's where they film Dumb and Dumber. So were, were you wearing like the
1: orange tuxedo thing with? the I cane? was n- uh, no, no. I was in the pink tuxedo <laughs> thing with the cane. We're all hiding around the corner, but the snow is coming down. It's right at a central casting for the movie. I mean, you know, you couldn't have put. It was a g- great night, and the snow was going, and the, you know, the the people were were all were all singing, and it was just. Fabulous, and he got down on the knee and asked her to marry And as everybody was ooh and ahhing. So, and, and then I realized I have to pay for this, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that took the joy out of the moment. <laughs> well, I mean, on a cop's pension, you know. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. Sure.
0: So, I, uh, you know, I want to make something clear. Scripture is clear over and over and over again that God punishes sin with sickness and disease. God also rewards the godly by healing from sickness and disease. and You think about the life that you have lived of dedication to the Lord of all you've done to use your skills and talents, because you're an incredibly bright man. You speak like five languages. I mean, and speaking Russian is worth like all five, because that's so hard to learn. Um, You've used all that to prove scripture, to really like a Berean, uncover that. And, And Lyme disease is something you don't recover from. And yet your daughter, who was at death's door, is now Totally healthy, uh, about to get married. So God has blessed you because you've been a man dedicated to his word and his service. And I, I think um, it's one of those things where your your kids rise up and call their parents blessed because of who
1: they've been for them. Well, thank you. I'd, I'd like to just tell you this one last thing about Shannon. Shannon uh, spoke at a church here uh, where we had to literally carry her up on stage. And the pastor was in the audience and she said, I wouldn't give this up for the world. And the whole place got quiet. And she says, I wouldn't get rid of this disease for the world, she goes, because people are calling me and blogging her and writing her, and now she's a witness for them. There was a girl that was gonna commit suicide, put a gun to her head and blow her brains out. She was so painful. Terry talked, Shannon talked her off the wall and is mm-hmm. now dealing with her, and she's going through the treatment with, with sick and get getting healed because there is hope for those that have, there is this guy's doing some amazing things. There's a the power of prayer and there's also the, the power of, of wisdom that, that God has given people to use their, their talents in, in a great way. But Shannon says, if, if I didn't have this, this illness, I wouldn't have this witness. Mm. You know, you got, you got to look at things through the right, through the lens of God. You know, he, he sometimes puts us through these horrible things, so it will be a witness for him in a more powerful way. And Shannon has the wisdom to see that. And there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge because knowledge is, uh, in in Matthew 11:25 25, it says, O Father, Lord of heaven, and earth, thank you for hiding the truth from those who think themselves so wise and clever and revealing it to the childlike. So beware this you through. Beware, this, uh, it, it says, uh, um, uh, Thank you for hiding the truth from those who think themselves so wise and clever and for revealing it to the childlike, not the childish. Childish is nonsensical. Childlike is we have a total faith, like you have a faith that your father is going to catch you when you jump off the the bunk bed, and you're going to catch him. He just jumps. He has faith. That's a childlike faith. We need to have a childlike faith in God, that whatever happens, no matter what happens, whoever gets COVID and dies, whoever gets this sickness, whoever gets uh, whoever gets anything that happens to him, that God has a plan and a purpose. That's that's wisdom. But these people that that bow at the universities. And they think that they're getting uh, wisdom. They're not getting wisdom. They're getting knowledge. Yes, you need to have knowledge to have wisdom. Okay, but wisdom um, uh, you, 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 wisdom's different than knowledge. And I think we, we're a culture that's lost our compass on wisdom, and we're letting the world tell us what is right and wrong. And why God? God's mean because He does this? No, God is God has His reasons and His purpose, and and we need to we need to praise Him. We've praised Him through all this this uh, this disease we praised him and that's what kept our our, our family happy not not happy see happy comes a greek word happening so a happening has to happen to make you happy but joy passes all understanding that's the thing our family has is joy and and that's that only comes from god and
0: i know your family and they are filled with joy especially your wife terry who you don't deserve
1: i don't deserve she's she's uh, yeah i told terry i told terry i said if you ever leave me i'm going with you <laughs> <laughs> i like that um, quickly, how does
0: somebody recognize if they think their they themselves or their child or their loved one has
1: Lyme disease? Well, this is this is great to have Terry here. Um, if, 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 Lyme disease is is even if you've had a test for Lyme disease, it could be wrong because in America we don't have really sophisticated ways of of, of analyzing. There there's 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 this there's this couple over in over in uh, South Africa, Johannesburg, that can really tell you exactly what it is. So we put Shannon's. A blood test in dry eye, sent over Johannesburg, and boy, they came back and said she's got it from this place and this geography, and everything oh, was great. Really? And they just nailed it because a lot of people over here get false readings. I don't know if it's positive reads or, but anyway, it's the wrong reading. False positives, false whatever it is. No, so, is it
0: true though? There's a little uh, t- target looking thing. It's a target.
1: Here. It's a red circle, like like a like a bullseye. You see the the target thing on on target stores. It's a red circle around a little red dot in the middle, and I saw it. And to this day, I think, why didn't I recognize it? Mm. But uh, for those, if you have that, you see that on someone, you get them tested. Because the longer you have it, the di- more difficult it is to get to get treatment for it. Shannon's was so entrenched. They're called spirochetes. They get entrenched like little screws that go in your your heart and your body and your bones. And, and they're like little screws that go in there. And then you have to give a chemical that coaxes them out and then kills them and zaps them. Oh, so like parasites? They're like they're it, It's a form. It's like a syphilis, but it's not from sexually transmitted. It's transmitted through 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 a bug. Huh.
0: All right, so we got about fifteen minutes left, and you talked about looking for the Ark of the Covenant and how you got everybody drunk so that you could go look at there. <laughs> Thanks for very great testimony. Sorry, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> great
1: uh, and testimony. and some of the greatest.
0: You know, that's how Jonathan Edwards defended uh, his little town out in western Massachusetts during the French and Indian War. The um, all the men were gone fighting in the war. And so what was happening was the French and the, and the native tribes of that area were coming in and, and creating bad things in all those towns because they weren't defended. So Jonathan Edwards, in order to make sure that his town was protected, he went and got huge barrels of rum from the Caribbean so that all the soldiers, whenever they had days off, they would all be in his town getting drunk on rum. And so nobody invaded his town because it was all full of <laughs> drunk soldiers. So you know, it, hey, you're just in a long, proud tradition long of trip. godly men getting people drunk. To, um, so, the Ark of the Covenant—will we ever find it? And what would that mean if we did? Well, and where where do you think it is?
1: Well, we'll, we'll find it if it's, it's it's like Noah's Ark. Let me start with the, the the other Ark. There's there's a couple arcs we could talk about. Noah's Ark. I I went on CNN once and they asked me, they said, uh, oh, if you found the ark, because we we went over with Josh McDowell and found uh, some wood, petrified wood at 13,000 feet over in Iran in a mountain area that I think it it could be in. Uh, I've led the expedition, I've been a part of the expeditions with Jim or when the astronaut that walked on the moon. And I've been on nine trips looking for Noah's Ark and it's a horrible mountain. I hate looking for Noah's Ark because it's always cold and Windy, and you have to sleep on rocks, and it's just dangerous with the the terrorists over there. I thought, you know, God and all His wisdom couldn't have had the ark land in the mountains of Maui. I mean, it would have been much easier <laughs> for me to do, you know. I'll, I'll, opinion, I'll go. I'll go, with the Rockies, go yeah. looking what they're. But uh, you see, I told the 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 the, the, the interviewer uh, on on CNN, which I haven't been on since, by the way, because I said um, we probably should just burn it if we find Noah's Ark. Uh, we should just just put lighter fluid on and just burn it. And uh, she just was shocked. She says, wouldn't it be worth a lot of money? I said, no, it's not worth nothing. It's already done its job. I said, we should burn it because we could start worshiping it. Like Hezekiah, you know, had that the, the staff, you know, destroyed because people were worshiping the mm. bronze serpent. And I said, the ark would, people we want splinters and they would take them home and think the splinters would give, you know, give healing or or something, whatever. So it'd be, they'd become idols, The ark would become an idol. And so- So you're
0: searching for it so you can burn it?
1: I'm searching for it because of this. Because I tell people, when I I don't care if I ever find the ark. People want to hear the cool story. You climb mountains, you're looking for it. Now, that sounds ridiculous. But I'll tell you why. Because people are more interested. There's there's three. The major things that people are interested in is ghosts, UFOs, and Noah's ark. Hmm. That's all the TV documentaries are ghosts, UFOs, and Noah's ark a lot of times. So when I stand in front of an audience, I'll say what I say to my dad. My dad had cancer and he was dying. And he said, "Why do you look for Noah's ark?" And I said, um, I said, Dad, you know, at the time uh, Noah called the people, uh, God called all the animals and Noah and his family into the ark, he didn't say "Go into the ark." Big difference. If you ever know in Scripture, God is always calling us into a relationship. He doesn't demand a relationship. He gives us a choice. Mm-hmm. He called the people into the ark. And then when he closed the door of the ark, all those inside the ark survived and all those outside the ark perished. The door closed and there was a black and white moment. You either were saved or you were either not saved. So there's no spiritual Switzerland. There's no gray area in between. We want to paint in pastels and bleed across the line. God says you're either in or out. You're with me or you're against me. And so when that door in the ark closed, everybody inside survived and everybody outside perished. And Christ today is our ark. I told my dad, I said, if you're on that ark, when your heart valves close, he was in the hospital. He had cancer. Doctor said he has two to six months to live that day. He turned white as a ghost. And that's why he asked me why I look for Noah's ark. Why Why do I study the Bible? He's a bartender, never went to church. Every other word was a swear word. I have scars in my body and my heart from him getting drunk and smacking me around. And I said to him, dad, I said, you're either on the ark or off their ark. He says, well, I'm just, I've been, I've led such a bad life. I can't, I, I can't even think about asking God to do that with me. I'm so ashamed of my life. And I said, you know, when, 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 when the beggars were leaving Jericho, Jesus called him over and and said, heal him. They, they cried out and said, Jesus, Jesus. And if you ever seen a beggar, they just sit in their their urine and their waste and their, their their feces, and their flies are all over them, and they're filthy and they're diseased. And Jesus brought them over and healed them, right there. I said, Dad, we're all we're all filthy. You know, Ken, if you knew what God knew about me, you wouldn't have me here in front of this microphone. And if I knew what God knew about you, I wouldn't I wouldn't have come here. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. We're all like dirty rags. And so I sold Dad, and so he grabbed my hand and he cried out, Jesus, Jesus. And he begged for forgiveness. And I started crying because of all the scars I had in my body and my heart, and I said, I've got to forgive this guy. Who am I? That Jesus died. I can't forgive him. So he accepts Christ. I have this forgiveness moment with him. And um, my brother comes in the room and says, what's going on? I said, dad just accepted Christ. And my dad's face changed with all the tears. He had lines from cigarettes and drinking and anger, and they all just just went away. His whole face changed. He was born again. The Bible says at that, that moment that you ask Christ in your heart that you're born again. You're on the ark. And then... Um, that I, that, that next night I came home and right over there, I can see right over, right through those clouds there was my house. And I was looking out at the city, read these lights here and the phone rang. And it was my mother. And she said, they just put a sheet over your father's face. He's dead. And I had the biggest smile on my face, not because he was dead, because he was alive. Mm -hmm. He was with Christ for all eternity. Forgiveness of forgiveness of his sins. What greater gift could I have than hearing he died in the ark where he's saved for all eternity instead of outside the ark where I would just grieve his loss to the day I die. I'm so happy he's with the ark. He's on the ark. So that's why I like to look for Noah's ark. And that's why I like to tell audiences about the ark, what it is. We have the real ark in Jesus. The other ark has already done its job. It may be on a mountain somewhere rotting away. And it may be important to people. But more important, like 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 Jim Irwin said, when we we're looking for Noah's Ark, he says Bob, he says Jesus walking on Earth is more than me walking on the moon.
0: Would you um, just pray for everybody who's listening to this right now? Because you've you know normally I ask people to if they have anything last thing to say, but you've kind of said everything, and a
1: lot of people are being impacted by this. Would you just pray for everybody? Yeah, dear lord i just ask that uh that you're out there and your family is suffering with with pain and disease that that you somehow you somehow pull the cover off of that and just realize that god has a great blessing for you that he uses everything every little minuscule thing that happens in your life is for god and you have the chance to either glorify god or to turn away from him dear lord i ask that if you're if you're not in the ark There's a simple way you can do that. If you're listening and not in the ark, or you're even doubting that you're in the ark, I'd like you to follow a prayer with me that says, Dear Lord, please come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that there's no way except through you. Nothing I can do. No denomination. No church. But it's Christ that was nailed on the cross, not your church or denomination. Dear Lord, I just don't put your faith in man. Put your faith in God. Dear Lord, please come to my heart. Forgive me of my sins. And I have the assurance now to know that I am saved and with you for all eternity. And I thank you in Christ's name. Amen. That was good stuff, man. So we're looking forward to your movie coming out. What's it called again? Mountain of Fire, Mountain of Fire, and if they're interested in the temple, there's a YouTube video called Temple. Just type in Temple Kornuk, Cornuke, C O R N U K E Temple Cornuke. We have seven hundred thousand views uh, as of today, like seven hundred ten thousand views of the Ark of the Temple. Well, after uh, they the, hear they, the show, the ark, it'll be like seventy million. Seventy million. Yeah. Well, there, we have we have the Mountain of Fire, which is the Mount Sinai story. We have on on you can see the Lost Shipwreck of Paul on YouTube. Well, we put all these on YouTube for free. We stopped selling stuff. We said, let's just, we're, we're not here to make money. We're here to, say, to get people excited about the Word of God. So all these things you can watch for free on YouTube. Uh, and uh, you can go even the Ark of the Covenant. You can go the Lost Ark of the Covenant's on YouTube as well. So we have all those out there. You can have fun watching
0: Hopefully in a year or two, uh, assuming maybe we can start filming again. We're looking forward to seeing Mount of Fire, man. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me. The real-life Indiana Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison.